Hebrews 13. This morning it's the second part of a, of a series that we started, I mean the second part of a sermon we started last week. Um, it's actually the, about the 20th sermon in the series that we've been working through. Uh, it's, we're moving fast through the book. We, we could have done this, we could have taken about 40 weeks to do this series, uh, but we're going to finish it in 21. Next, next week is the last sermon in the series. But we're here, we've done it. I, I really am grateful we are, uh, over, especially particularly over these last few weeks. I have seen in the text, we have been there at just the right time. The Lord has been at work teaching us what is right and good for his people, people of his kingdom, to be about doing. So I'm grateful for that. Today, it's, it is the second part of a, uh, a sermon, really, that, that we started last week of kingdom instructions uh, chapter 13 is just filled with a list of instructions. There is some teaching, but it's mostly instructions on how to live as this kingdom people. Uh, and so for that reason, we're going to start where we started last week. We're going to read that, have a brief review, um, and then press through. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Typically, I'd read the text and pray, but we're going to be breaking this up. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord to be with us, and then we are going to jump right in and actually start right at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 and we'll begin reading from there. So so let's pray. Let's just settle ourselves before the Lord, seek to hear from him. Father, I, I ask just that, that in this moment we can just sit and rest in your presence. It's, we're always there. It's never a part time that we're left or forsaken, that we have to think that you're away from us, that you're off vacationing or sleeping or slumbering, that um, you're, you're with us. Would you help us to just intentionally recognize that in this moment, to sit here and rest in your presence and hear from your word. I pray for you to just uh, use the words that, that I'll speak uh, to encourage, to strengthen, to give direction, to, to draw us to clarity, and ultimately, Father, to just point us to Jesus so that, so that we can walk uh, just in humble obedience as we look at our Savior. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let, us, let, or let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. <clears throat> Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Already, we already prayed. Sorry, let's just jump in. I'm, that's what happens. You start working on habit mode. That's what happens. The, the point of last week's sermon, the, that was the text that we studied last week. The point of last week's sermon is that as recipients of Jesus, unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to reflect the character of our unchanging king. As recipients of Jesus' 
unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to lives that reflect the character of our unchanging king. In Christ, we have come to Zion, not Sinai. We didn't come to a place of laws and and rules and live this way and be my people. We came to a place, he says, you are my people. You belong to me, an eternal kingdom, an unshakable kingdom. And as a result now, be these people, live this way. It's, It's not in coming and doing these things that earn us a place at the foot of Zion. It is that we have been brought to the place at the foot of Zion, that now we're said, okay, this is kingdom life together. This is the way that we pursue and practice life together. This isn't the way into the kingdom. This is an expression of those who already belong to the kingdom. And these instructions, pretty, pretty straightforward. And we saw them that as recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, we're called to active Worship, to live worship, not just simply to gather and sing, not just to say these words, not just to come and and utter phrases, but that worship was to be our life. It was a servant giving up of ourselves, servile way in which we were honoring the Lord in reverence and awe with the activity of our life. Now, this isn't the first instructions. In fact, I would say if you look up just a little bit earlier in chapter 12, you'd, you'd see him calling us to pursue peace pursue holiness, and to keep watch on one another. And, and I would say that maybe, just, just maybe, that this is a way that this summarizes this call to serving worship. That we are worshiping God as we together, not one of us, not just a couple of us, but all of us work together striving to make sure that we're living at peace with one another. All of us together striving for holiness. All of us together keeping a watch on one another. That is an act of worship. It is reverent and and awe in, uh, as a result of recognizing the awe-inspiring God that we have, that now together we, we seek peace with one another, we strive for holiness together, and we keep an eye on one another. There's this, this way in which our lives now express His glory in this world. So, so active worship, we're called to active worship. We are also called to love one another like family. Let brotherly love continue. Love one another like Jesus loved us and received us as family. He adopted us. We are adopted in Christ into this family. Practice hospitality. Love strangers. To, to, to have so much or enough, I'm, let me say this differently, to have enough margin in our lives that when the stranger walks in, we actually have space to welcome them in, receive them, and help them feel like they belong to the family. Practice hospitality. Stand united. Remember those who are persecuted, those who are in prison, those who, are, who, are, who have been put away because they've been living their faith. And, and even though you're not with them presently in, the, in a physical way, you are with them. We stand united. We are one body. Honor, marriage, and sexual purity. Because we are kingdom people. We are called to live according to God's ethic of marriage and sexuality. Not what the world would have us believe, not what the world would have us act, but what God has said, this is kingdom marriage, this is kingdom sexual ethic, this is what we live by, strive for contentment. He also laid that out to, to, to not love money. The, the irony here in, in the way I worded that is that we're striving for something that says I'm not, not going to strive anymore, <laughs> right? Strive for contentment. There's, it seems ironic. The idea, and I said this last week, I won't go into detail here, but said this last week, we're not trying to throw away ambition. We're seeking to be ambitious for the things of the Lord and the things of the King. 
and to be content with what we have here, to not be, not be pursuing after the stuff of this world, after the, the trifles that this world has to offer, and instead be pursuant of Christ, content with the things we have in this world. It's not bad that you have them. It's not wrong that you have them. It, it, it's simply that that can't be the goal of our living. So strive to be contented. And then finally, we saw in the last verse, uh, verse 7, to follow our Christ-like leaders. As kingdom people, as members of this unshakable kingdom, we're called to follow our Christ-like leaders. We're called to look at their life, listen to their teaching, and, and, to, and to follow and imitate their faith. It's the responsibility of every one of us. This is where we all stand together. Now imagine if that's what we really practiced at doing together, how different things might look, not just inside this building, but in the kingdom that now is in the earth. It might look radically different. There might be a whole lot less arguments on Facebook and a whole lot less preachers from a distance telling other preachers what they're supposed to do or telling congregants of another local congregation what they're supposed to do with the people that they have in the, in the circumstances they find themselves. It, it, it might, be, might be radically different in the ways that we interact with one another across denominational lines. And, and I'm, not, I'm not at all, let, let, me, let me say this because it came up in my mind last week and I pushed past it and, and I think I ought to say it, especially based on some of the illustrations I used. I'm not at all against clearly lining out and marking out the doctrinal positions that we have. Not, I'm not against that at all. In fact, if you go back, just I think it was, I don't know how many months ago, you know I, I went with calendars. We did nearly a year-long series on our beliefs and where we stand, both, both um, the essential things that we'd, we'd say, this is what's required, like this is what is essential to the doctrines of, of being a Christian and, and at least being members of this church, and then also secondary doctrines that we hold to that are near and dear to us. And they, they help us form and understand how deeply we can partner. But if someone doesn't believe them, that doesn't remove them from Christianity. There's a difference, right? So, so we need to be careful with that. There's open-handed, closed-handed, ish, open-handed, closed-handed issues. Not oppose that. But imagine if we got busy seeking to be these people in this world, how different it might look rather than fighting against one another. might be a whole different thing. Might be a, I, I can't say, because I don't think that's where we're at, but I think it would be different. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to live lives that reflect the character of our unchanging king. That's the point. That's the summation of last week's uh, sermon and focus on these verses. And, and, and here we see, as it ends, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's always been this, so it's easy to see why we should continue to look like Jesus. Like, that's what would happen. If we sought to pr- pursue these things and live in these things, it wouldn't just be good people. We would be getting to reflect the nature of our unchanging king in a world that needs to see our unchanging king. They're desperate to see this. Desperately needed. But as a result, as a result, that, that, that's what would be on display. But there's more. And that's why we're going to continue along the same line. I want those thoughts in your head because it is all one thing. And in fact, we're going to be referring back to some of that later this morning. I want those things in your head as we look forward now to what comes next. 
picking up in, I'll just pick up in verse 8, just to maintain that imagery that this is an unshakable kingdom with an unchanging king. Jesus Christ is the same today, or same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In a very shaky and ever-changing world, there was a, just, just so you know, there was a part of me that wanted to stop and pray. <laughs> so, sorry, you didn't need to know that, but now you do. In a very shaky, ever-changing world that we live in, we have a Savior who is always the same. He is a rock on which we can build. He, so, so the consistent call all the way through Hebrews has been to keep our eye on him, to hold fast our confession of faith and hope in him. And, and at the beginning of chapter 12, even, we were called to, to keep our eye on him, to lay aside the weights and the sins, the distractions and the sinful things that, that, that keep us from running, that keep us from seeing him and running towards him. At the end of chapter 12, We're told that God is shaking the world so that anything that can be shaken will be shaken away. So there's a reality that if we're clinging on to these weights and these sins, we might be clinging on to things that God is shaking to to rid the world of them, which will cause trouble in and of itself and difficulty for us in and of itself. But the point I want you to see is this. the, The world we live in isn't permanent as we set our stuff down and run toward Jesus, we are changing. So the world is changing. We are changing. And we're running to a never-changing king. Our lives are being formed to look more and more like him, to reflect his unchanging character. That's why I continue to say this and summarize this passage. That's why this, I believe, is a direct result or a direct continuation of last week's sermon as recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom. Christians are called to live lives that reflect the character of an unchanging, of our unchanging king. But the author is more specific than that. He's not just giving us a summary. It'd be nice because then we would have done this one week and then we'd have moved on and you'd have been like, okay, no, we're looking at it again. But we need to look at it again. We need this instruction. We need the specifics. And so let's look at them. First, as recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to continue to feast on the gospel of grace. Look again back at verses now 9 through 10. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not been or which have not <clears throat> benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Jesus says unchanging. He 
is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. He will be the same. So the doctrines or the teaching about him have no need to change. We don't need to add to them. We don't need to take away from them. But to continue to study them, trust them, and thereby be strengthened by them. We don't need, here's the gospel, let's add something to it. Well, I got the gospel and I got baptized and I, don't, I need something now more than the gospel. I need something more now than the doctrines of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on my behalf. I need, how do I face this situation? How do I deal with this instance? How, and, and, and I'm not saying that there's not wisdom we need and there's not some practical help we can have. But there's nothing else we need to be strengthened to live the life we've been called to live. In fact, the author gives us this contrast and this comparison. And in, 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 in that, he shows us that gospel of grace, that grace strengthens, and the other food that's been offered doesn't provide benefit. Now, in the context, in the context of the passage, it becomes clear that the comparison being made between that food that strengthens and, and that food that doesn't is between the new covenant and the old covenant. And I'm going to show you that in just a second. But it becomes clear that what he's saying is, come to the gospel of grace, be strengthened by it. The food that has been offered previously, uh, and, and, and you'll see in just a moment how this old covenant way of living, it, doesn't, it hasn't benefited. It's not going to benefit. It's only going to bring more burden. The point of the comparison, first, is larger than just the two covenants. Look at, look at the Look at the reason he steps in here. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The world is filled with diverse and strange teachings. He's talking about all kinds of teachings. He's not talking about just the Old Covenant stuff. Now, we know, we're pretty confident that these people, these particular people at this point are being enticed and drawn back to the old covenant traditions and the old covenant rituals and the old covenant practices. We know that that's true, probably true based on all that he's dealt with in the book of Hebrews to this point. But I don't think he's writing this simply because that's the only thing they're ever going to be enticed by or drawn away with. We are surrounded, we live in a world that has been drawing away and blowing about with diverse and strange teachings. Now, the, the author's instruction is don't be led away by them. The, the word used there is of wind and water that forces things along. So, so wind pushing a sail or, and, and by, by, by which it pushes a boat or, or, or um, water, the waves of water carrying so the, the current of a river, carrying something along. There's this idea that we're, we're to be on guard against these strange and diverse teachings and not blown about, as, as Paul would say, as Paul said in, in Ephesians 4, not to be blown about by every wind of doctrine or tossed to and fro by the waves. But we're to be on guard against that. But here's the thing. These people, they're struggling and being told, hey, you do have Jesus, but you also need circumcision. You also need these, these ritual cleansing. You've you got to have this other food. You need to eat this stuff and, 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 and find strength for yourself. And, and the author here is saying, no, don't go to that food for strength. Come to the gospel and find strength. We might, we, we might think that means that we need to go out and find all these strange and diverse teachings and, think, and, and find out, okay, well, what are they? 
The thing is, if we went out looking to try to figure out what's wrong and, and the lies in every strange and diverse teaching, we would never get done looking at all these diverse and strange teachings. We would be looking at them all the time and never looking at the only thing that actually gives strength. He's saying, come to the gospel of grace and feast on it. We have this altar that we can feed on, that we, are, that we have the right to eat from, and it gives us actual strength. And these people, they don't have a right to do that. They, 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 they have all this stuff, and they cling to it, and they keep running to it, and it's never satisfied them. Feast on the teaching that Jesus is greater. Just think of what we've studied in this book so far. He's the greater messenger, the greater Moses. He's the greater apostle, the greater high priest. He's a greater savior, provides a greater rest, a greater sacrifice. And in him, we have received a greater covenant. If you're you're struggling and you need rest, it's not run off and hide in a cave somewhere, although that might not be totally bad. But while you're there, sit down and read Hebrews. And look at Jesus. Because that's where the rest is going to come from. That's where the strength is going to come from. That's where the courage to stand up and walk into the world that made you want to run away and be in a cave. Just just know, some of you were here the other night when when I talked to you about my inclinations. I'm preaching to myself here. Right? My own insecurities, our insecurities. What do we? It's so easy just to want to run. Just to quit. Hide. We need strength. And he says, no, 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 you look at Jesus. Feast on the teaching of God's redemptive work in Christ from beginning to the end of the Bible. You can find his promises to redeem all the way back in Genesis. And and, and those promises are going to be fulfilled all the way forward in Revelation. So he's saying, feast on the truth of God's gospel, grace. And we feast on this grace. These strange and diverse teachings, they're going to become obvious that they're strange and diverse. And there's many of them, and they're weird. They're going to become obvious. And they're not going to blow us around, and they're not going to have the influence of our lives the way they may, may have at one time. But let's look really closely at verse 10. I think this is where you're going to begin to see a little bit more clearly how, how it looks like he's speaking directly to a specific issue within this Church and how they were, how, how the comparison of new and old comes out. So there's this idea that there's a place in which they had to go and they had to offer these sacrifices. And on this physical altar, in this physical place, at a specific time, they were to, to, to see, these, see a goat and a bull killed and, and laid upon this altar. But even then, they, this was not food that they were to eat. But in verse 10, he says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. A, it, it seems to be a comparison between, between what was happening in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, this altar, this, this physical place in which these sacrifices were made that, that sometimes, and some of those sacrifices, they would be, the, the leftovers would be food, and in some of the cases, they, they weren't. But only certain people had the right to eat from them. So what is this altar that he's referring to? We have this altar. What is this altar that he's referring to? And I think the tried and true Sunday school answer works perfectly here. What is the altar? Jesus. That's right. Yes, Jesus. Now, there's two ways in which this is. There's been several ways. Let me say it this way. I didn't think about this till just now. There's been diverse and strange ways in which this has been taught. 
throughout the history of the church, right? Like there, there's one teaching that has suggested that the Eucharist is the altar. And so the idea that when we come at the end of the service and we take of the Lord's Supper and, and observe communion together, that in some way that this is the altar and that the sacrifice of Christ continues. That's diverse and strange. There, there's two interpretations I would suggest that have made sense and I think would be acceptable, and then we could discuss them and, and disagree with one another and still not be divided. Now, the first would be that the altar here would be the, the cross of Jesus Christ, that on the cross, on the altar, he was, he was sacrificed. And, and just quite honestly, that's kind of how I have always viewed it, that that was the altar and Christ hung there on the altar, his, his sacrifice being offered on the cross, and that's one of the reasons we continue to think and talk about coming to the cross or looking at the cross and remembering the cross and things like that. And I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's altogether wrong. It's just I'm not there anymore, and it's only through the study of Hebrews that I'm not there anymore. And the, the, where, the place I stand today, and I don't, one of the two, you're, you're welcome to, to have either, but uh, the, the place I stand today is after having studied and read Hebrews and seen over and over how he points back, the author points back to the old covenant traditions and the old covenant ways and shows that all of those physical things, while they had their purpose in that time, they were only shadows, they were, they were placeholders, they were, they were pointing forward to something else. Even the physical elements of that system were only ever representations of the true thing that would come and fulfill them in eternity. For example, the, the tabernacle the, or the tent of meeting, the, the place, not the tent of meeting, the, the tabernacle, the holy place, and all those things, those physical elements we find out in Hebrews are actually representative of the true tabernacle, not built by hands that God has established and built and, and provided for eternity in heaven. There's a heavenly holy place that's holier than any place built by hands. We saw that happen in Hebrews, right? We saw that Jesus was the fulfillment over and over of these things. And so now as I look at this and I think about what is this altar, even the altar on which the sacrifices were made, I believe is a symbol pointing to Jesus and his sacrifice. He didn't need the cross. The cross is there simply because that's the way God designed and decided for it to happen. But it didn't have to happen on the cross. That's not the heavenly altar that's being referred to. It's Jesus himself fulfilling in his physical body the sacrifice that was necessary for us. And I believe that's, that's, that's where I would stand today. So when we talk about coming to the altar, in some churches you'll hear them say, say things along the lines of, come to the altar and pray. And what they mean is, come to the steps of the stage or sometimes they'll have little benches or something like that. Come to the altar and pray. You've never heard us ask you to come to the altar and pray here because there is no altar. That altar, there's no need for an altar anymore. These tables, although I think they're nice and I appreciate the way they've been built, they're wood and steel pipe. They are not altars on which we offer a sacrifice. These elements are not a sacrifice. They are a memorial, a remembrance of what has been done. We don't come to the altar in a physical, tangible way. However, we do sing a song, and we're actually going to sing the song today at the end, that says, O come to the altar. What then are we coming to? What are we turning our attention to? Not these steps 
that's not very impressive, nor these elements. We are coming to Christ in a sacrifice. We're pointing our attention to him and looking to the work that he's done, and, and by it, we are gaining strength. We are finding satisfaction and sustenance. I believe that's what's happening here. And so, no, we're not looking to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant ways, any, any more than is necessary to see how Jesus Christ fulfills them. And now we look at Jesus Christ this, 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 and, and, and able to feed at this altar that even the Old Covenant people are not, they don't have a right to eat at because they won't come to him in faith to begin with. Here we are. So as recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to continue to feast on the gospel of grace. It's not something we got when we were kids or, or early in adult life, and now we don't need it anymore, and now we need all this other stuff. No, you need the gospel. Life is very difficult if we don't remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and who we are because of what Jesus has done. Keep going. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to pursue Jesus despite the cost. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to pursue Jesus despite the cost. Look at verses 11 and 12. He moves on, and, but, but there's a, a striking uh, illustration being presented. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. And that, that that's, strikes a, a common thing, common theme. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. There's this, this, this illustration being laid out, this, this doctrine being presented in, in 11 and 12, drawing from the, the things that happened in, uh, the, on the Day of Atonement when a goat would be killed and a bull would be killed the blood would be taken into the holy place and then the bodies of those animals would be carried outside you can read about this in leviticus chapter 16 i think it starts right around verse uh verse 11 or something like that but i'll I'll read all the leviticus 16 it won't hurt you uh, but you see it towards the end of the chapter um but these, these animals are then carried outside the camp, and their bodies are burned. And, and because of them being sin offerings, they're not offered as food to anyone. Their bodies are burned, and the person who burns them has to go through this ritual cleansing process to even be able to come back inside, right? Because they're unclean just simply having been near them being burned. The, the comparison then, again, points us to Jesus, who also, as the only perfect and sufficient sacrifice, was sacrificed outside the city. But the sacrifice was given for a different purpose, to actually make holy, to actually sanctify his people. So the call then, we see it in verse 13, get up and go outside the gate and, and bear the reproach that he endured. You get up and, and, and leave the city and be one who, like Jesus, might be counted unclean, who, like Jesus, might be rejected. But in going to Jesus, we find that we actually are made Holy. That's all. I mean, Jesus suffered as a common criminal, right? He he suffered as one who did not deserve or had no place among these people. In fact, they couldn't even deal with him themselves, so they hand him over to the Romans to be dealt with. And they send him out, and they reject him, and they send him away. Now that's the call on us. Returning to the old covenant traditions and rituals 
It might have bought these people acceptance in the Jewish community. But whether they fully understood it or not, it was actually a rejection of what Jesus had done. Those things were obsolete. They were no, they were no longer necessary. It, it might have given them a place back in the city, but it would actually have been a rejection of Jesus and his greater sacrifice because these two things are diametrically opposed. They, th- these people that maintain this covenant and seek to live within this covenant have no right to eat from the altar that's been established for us. But if we're going to go and seek to live according to this altar of the old covenant, then we're rejecting the one that's been given to us. The thing is, we can either pursue Jesus and face rejection from the world and and maybe even people within our own circles, or we can stand with the world and reject Jesus. We cannot live in the city, per se, and outside the city at the cross at the same time time. We, we can live and be an offense to Jesus or inevitably in pursuit of living in the holiness that he has provided to us, we will inevitably become an offense to the people of the world. I'm not giving you permission to go out and be jerks. I'm just saying if you're going to live in obedience to who Jesus is at some point, that's going to clash with the ethics of the world. Look, look, look at this. He's, Jesus' sacrifice makes his people holy. The, the word that's, that, 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 that word sanctify in verse 12 is it, it, it's simply the word that means holy, which in some sense means purified and, and cleansed, but it also speaks of distinction and separation. That, yes, we're intermingled in the world right now, but we don't belong to it anymore. We have been made distinct from it. And though we may, be, we, we may be rubbing shoulders in the broader society with, with, with those who have not been cleansed and who have not been made holy, that doesn't change the fact that coming to Christ, we have been made holy, purified, and made distinct from everyone else. And so while we're striving for peace, you see how this is going to work out, as we're striving for peace together... There's a reality that as we live our lives of peace, we may actually experience in this life rejection and reproach, separation and division. The, the, the grace that comes through Jesus, if you look at the, at, at the context just before it, the grace that comes through Jesus as sacrifice strengthens us to face this. So he's telling us, be feasting on the gospel of grace so that we can go out to the cross and face and endure the reproach that we will receive. But let's take it, let me, let me say it like this, just, let, me, let me say, just to maybe draw something else out here. The, the call is not to separate ourselves. I'm not saying that there's not some people, like there's been monastic societies and stuff like that. I think there's, and I'm hopefully not trying to be offensive here, but like the Amish communities that will so far separate themselves from culture that they can't live any longer in culture. I, I don't think that's ever been the call of God on his people. Now, I, I want to be cautious about that because I think there's probably reasons for it, but, but I, I just don't see in the Scripture that there's a call for us to figure out how to separate ourselves. Jesus' sacrifice has already done that. But now we are to live distinct lives even as we're among an unholy people. This might practically work out, and I didn't ask permission for this, so I just, I'll just i say cautiously. This pr- practically might work out in a, in a place like our public education system. 
in which there's more and more pressure all the time against anything that is of Christ. I don't think that's the responsibility of those who are working within that, trying to be a witness. I don't think that means that now they need to figure out how to, to, to chart their course out. I think they need, need to still fight to be a witness. But if they are removed as a result of them living a holy life, then that's actually success, not failure. That's actually enduring the reproach of Christ that we've been called to. So, so, so that's what he's calling, that's, that's what this is about, right? It's about living and pursuing him in a world that's rejected him. We could even step back further and see how this context even goes back further. Be content with what you have in Jesus. Be content with what he's provided for you in this world. To, 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 to not be satisfied, to pursue him, to, to follow him, to, to go after him. But to not be clinging to the things of this world so tightly that we can't live the life of holiness that he's called us to live. Because these things here are too important. But I think there's another way in which this whole idea of standing united, we go back and we look at this verse that says, hey, remember those who are in prison as though we're in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you're in, you, you're all in the body. I, I think this is one of the, the, the worst consequences of us, and not just generally as a church. Please understand, I think there's a fault in the American church. The American church so emphasizing the individual this personal relationship with Jesus, this personal walk with Jesus. I don't want to dismiss it. We need it. We all got to walk with him. But it's not just about you and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. Remember those that are suffering. I, I, I have a theory. I have no way to prove it. I think, and you can disagree with me if you want. I don't, I don't ever mind you disagreeing. If you don't mind being wrong, I don't mind you disagreeing. I mean, that's just the way, that's the way I like to say how I live my life, right? That, I have this theory that if we were more obedient in the pursuit of priests, or, I'm sorry, not priests, the, goodness, if we were more serious about pursuing peace together and recognizing the unity that we've been called to as a body of believers, we would feel less fear in going outside the gate to endure the reproach of Jesus. Because we would know we're not really doing that on our own. We're doing that together. And I might be the one facing the firing squad, but you got me. You might be the one having to make the hard decision about doing something that sears your conscience. But we got you. We, we, we got this, right? We are his people who all recognize that this is what we've been called to. Not making a home here. Not establishing our kingdom here. But being his kingdom people here. Willing to go out and experience the reproach that comes with Christ because his sacrifice has made us holy. So now we live those pure lives, we exclaim those truths to the world around us, 
And we face the consequences knowing that we're in this together. It's a radically different thing than my personal walk with Jesus. And if I lose my job, I'm all alone. No, you're not. If I lose my family, I'm all alone. No, you're not. I'm not saying we're going to get this perfect. I guarantee you we won't get this perfect. But I will say this is one of the central truths that we strive to live in this body of believers. I want to qualify just one more thing. (laughs) While the author of Hebrews is calling us to do this as a people, we have to be ready to live the life like the words of the hymn states. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Because it's not about, it's not about belonging here. It's about believing and trusting our saving king. And willing to follow him regardless, despite the cost. Let's keep going. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to pursue Jesus despite the cost. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to anticipate its final consummation. Look at verse 14. This is beautiful. It begins to look at what's coming and no longer just dwell on the realities of the struggles here. So he says, oh man, for here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that's to come. There's a reason he doesn't want us to be striving after the treasures of this world. There's a reason he doesn't want us loving money or the junk that this world offers. Because it's dying and it's fading and it's not ever going to be satisfying. There is no lasting city here. To commit our way to the way of the old covenant is to commit our, ourselves to something that's obsolete and one day will be completely done away with. And in fact, I, might, I would suggest it's already been done away with. It's done. You can, go, you can go to Jerusalem. You can walk the path. And they can say, oh yeah, this is Via del Rosa. This is where Jesus walked. But even they are not able to practice the, 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 the rituals that the old covenant commands them to practice because they have no place to do them. They are not able to continue in those things. It is done. That is finished. And Christ has come and displaced it all and said, look to me. The city that he has provided, that he has established, is eternal, unshakable, and it is still coming. We are not there yet. The call is to live today for what Jesus has promised to fulfill when, when the time is right and all is finished. But we get a glimpse of it. We get to see it just in a glimpse in Revelation chapter 21, John writing, he he says, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out from heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, as clear as crystal. crystal. It had a great wall, high wall with 12 gates, and at the Gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the, na- were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And we could keep reading, but I want to skip down to verse 22 and pick up. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light... 
The nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is the city that we look forward to. Beautiful and amazing. Because the Lamb and our God are there. There is coming a day when He will say, I will make all things new. And it's going to happen. There's a day coming where He will call out, I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. And the end will be here. And that city will come down and we will stand in His presence to see Him with our own eyes. There is no lasting city. So don't live for this city. Live with a content and an ambitious heart towards the city that is to come. Anticipate the final consummation. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to continually speak and sing His praises. Now, last week we looked at worship as a serving, life-acting, life, uh, an active thing, that we're up and doing, serving, sacrificing of ourselves. This week He turns around and He calls us to these words of worship. Look at verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. The satisfactory sufficient sacrifice has been made. We don't need to sacrifice that anymore. We don't have to continue to do that. But using our words to praise and honor him rather than to bicker and to fight to, 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 to give him glory rather than to tear things down. To point people to see him rather than to promote ourselves and build ourselves up. This is the call. In our study of James a while back, several, several books ago, we were reminded that, that our tongues can, can cause lots of damage. That though they're small, they can, they can burn a whole forest. They can, they can start a massive destructive fire. The old saying that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. It's not true. Words carry weight. They have power. They can be extremely destructive. That's why Paul instructed the people in Ephesus to speak truth with love, to, to say nothing that's corrupting, but only it's what is useful for building up and giving grace. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. That one holds a little bit more truth. This is not to say that our words never confront lies, that they're never hard for a person to hear. But we say true things in love hoping to be heard and that people respond to the truth and love, but their response is on them. What we say and how we say it is on us. And what do we, you just consider this for a minute, just what, what, all the words we type in our preferred social media provider are spoken face-to-face to one another, even sung in the lyrics of the songs we listen to outside of this place. Are we using our words to honor Him, to give Him the glory? Because yes, it should be our life of worship, but we should be speaking and singing words of praise. I, there's this friend of mine that he, he has this phrase. I'd love to steal it sometime, but he's, he and I talk too much, and so I just have to give credit to where credit's due. It's not mine. Uh, but he says, we talk about the things that we're taken with. We talk about the things that we're taken with. 
there was a time in our life of our church where, where, where I, we'd sit down and hang out and talk with people and, 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 and the conversation would turn. In fact, I was having this conversation just the, just the other day. The conversation would turn to the to drinks people are drinking when they're not, you know, when they're hanging out. I, I got this new drink I just love. I want you to try it. Here's the recipe, you know. And, or, or, or the, the, the TV shows that I'm watching and, 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 the, and, and, and the stuff, the, the sports. Or the... But what happens when the topic and conversation of Jesus the King comes up? Are we as quick and active in the conversation? I'm not saying we can't have conversations about all that other stuff. Don't, don't misunderstand. Let's talk. But are, are we choosing and purposely using words to bring praise to the king? That's what he's calling us to. As kingdom people, that's what he's calling us to, to continue to speak and sing his praises. He is worthy of it. And if it's not, if it's not, let me just encourage you, go back and look at Jesus. Go back and read the book of Hebrews and be taken with Jesus. And then it's just going to be a natural thing because we want to talk about the things we're taken with. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to live generously with one another. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Again, he's not calling us to this sacrifice that atones for sin. That's been done. But we're no longer hoarding stuff to build our own kingdom to make ourselves feel secure and stable in this world, in a world that's shaking nonetheless. We're looking to Jesus. We're trusting him. We put our faith in him. God's people then are called to live generously not, not, not just, not, not, not just um, carelessly, but generously thinking and sharing with one another what God's given us. This might be tangible goods. It might be the physical things that we have. Might be, it might be meeting some need. I think this is clearly exemplified in the early chapters of Acts, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And then I think you can see it again in Acts chapter 4 or 5. Where they were so concerned about one another's needs in a city that they'd been rejected by that they were taking care of one another. Those tangible goods being used. It may be intangible goods. A good example of this, also from the book of Acts, as Peter and John are on the way to the temple and they see a, a, a beggar who is lame, he can't walk, and, they, and the, the man calls out looking for help, and Peter says, well, hey, we don't have any money for you, but what we do have, you can have. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, and the man stands up and walks. They've been blessed and made able to do that, so they did it. So it might be tangible goods, it might be intangible goods. The good that God has given you is not just for you. Enjoy it. Don't be ashamed of it. Praise God for it. But share it. Use it to do His good work in this shaking, difficult world. As recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom... Christians are called to follow their Christ-like leaders. You might notice that we are right back where we ended last week. We're ending in the same place. Now, previously in verse 7 of this chapter, we were called to remember them, consider their life, and the outcome of it, and imitate their faith. The, the point then, as well as here, is not just any leader, but to ensure we're following leaders who are like Christ. But here he comes to them, and, and you can see it in verse 17, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We lose some of the nuance in English of what's happening in that verse, and, 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 and so it almost sounds like the same thing twice, obey and submit, right? It almost sounds like he's saying the same thing twice. He's not. The first one where he says obey, he's really, the word he uses really means to be persuaded by. 
Let yourself be persuaded by or let yourself trust. Like there's an idea in which you purposely work to trust your leaders, that you purposely work to be persuaded by those who God has put before you to lead you. So, so that's the individual Christian. That's the church's responsibility of their leaders. Be persuaded by them. Now, listen, if they're teaching something other than gospel, if we're teaching something other than Jesus Christ, don't listen. Get them, get, get it, get them out. But if we are pointing to Jesus Christ, we, he is calling you to trust us. Then he says, submit to, to, to us. The word here means yield. It's, not the, it's, not, it's the only place in the New Testament the word is used, but the word actually means yield to, to, to your leaders. To, oh, man, I want to be careful because this always feels so self-serving when it comes to me. But just I'm here. We're here. We've got to look at it. You may not agree. With all the decisions, you may not be happy about all the decisions. You may not feel comfortable with all the methods that we've chosen to use, but yield. Allow yourself to be led. There's a two-way street in Christian life between leaders and those being led. And as much as it's the responsibility of the leader to stand and point people to Jesus and say, this is the way we're going... It's the responsibility of those being led to follow. That's the idea. So don't, <laughs> this is, sorry, this just came to mind. Don't be, I don't know, I should, <laughs> I got to now because I'm laughing about it. There's, these, there's this show I saw not long ago, and these people were trying to lead these donkeys along by ropes, and the donkeys were fighting, just, you know, you've heard donkeys, like they're hooting and hollering. And that's not, that, that, that is not becoming of God's people, right? Now, I'm not trying to call you donkeys. That's why I was hesitant to say it. <laughs> Sorry. That, I was hesitant to say it for that reason because that's not what I th- think of you. But the reality, the, the reality is, sorry, I can't get that picture out of my head. I'm trying to move on. I can't move forward. Get some self-control. Okay, here we go. The idea is, is that this is a, we all recognize where we're headed. We all recognize where we're going. We know it. We trust the people in the front to get us there. And when we see that they've gone off course, put some more leaders in, right? I'm not saying that they make mistakes. I'm not saying that they're perfect. None of us can live up to that. You couldn't live up to that. But trust the leaders God's given you. Yield to their leadership so that you can be Led. That's the idea. The responsibility of the leaders is to keep watch on your soul. Let me just tell you how I, I take that seriously. I believe Bob and Dave take that seriously. This means this is not just about the, the, the stuff that people used to talk about, about church, the color carpet and the, the ways we do children's ministry and all the arguments about stuff in these recent months and days. Those are conversations we have to have because we care so deeply about every one of our people's soul, which is far more important than whether we wear a mask or not. You get that, right? That is our primary concern, your soul. And we recognize, and we know this, and we take this very seriously, how it works out in the grace of God, we'll all see it play out. 
but we actually stand and we'll take an account. We have responsibility. This is no small thing. We, we may answer to the church. I've, I've had this conversation a lot lately in the, in the last few weeks. We may answer to the church in some sense in that we must be staying and walking towards Jesus, setting the right example, doing the right things, and teaching the right stuff, and calling people to the right place. But hear me say this as, as gently as I can. We're not doing that because you've agreed with us or because you've given us permission we're doing that because God has called us to this. We do not truly answer to you. We answer to God. And we will do what he's called us to do. And we will be the people he's called us to be. And we will say, come and go with us. Let's go together. In hopes in, in, in the greatest hopes of not offending any that are really his. But he makes the point just a little bit further. Because it's in, in a world that, that, that is so often anti-authoritarian, he makes the point go just a little bit further where he says that this, let, 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 the, the, let this be a joy to them and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The idea is, is, is follow in such a way that we get to rejoice in the fruit that God is working out among his people and that we don't groan because people leave his flock. But this is an advantage to you. In a world that's so anti-authoritarian and in a world that says, nobody's going to tread on me, you're not going to tell me what to do. That's the message all around us. I am my own God. I am free to do whatever I want to do. Hear this pastor, not... Not me, the pastor, this pastor. This is no advantage to you. In harming your leaders, you're hurting yourself. You're not doing yourself any favors. So, as recipients of Jesus' unshakable kingdom, Christians are called to follow their Christ-like leaders. Here's the thing, and this is in closing. Because we're recipients of this new and eternal and unshakable kingdom, we can and should live radically different lives than we did before we were part of it. If you've never trusted and followed Jesus, if you have never trusted and followed Jesus, don't try to adapt this list to your way of life and say, now I'm one of his kingdom people. That will not work. In fact, that will be a burden that just ultimately ends up crushing you. The only way in is by faith. Trusting in Jesus, in his satisfying, sufficient sacrifice that pays the price for your sin. You trust in him. And then by faith, and if you are already there, by faith, live like it. By faith in him, live as one who has received his kingdom. Let's pray.